I like when the clickety-clack magic rocks put the big numbers up. Hello, friends and allies, and welcome to another fun-filled episode of the BelchCast. We're here to talk to you about beer and nerd shit. My name is Pukasaurus Rex, cartographer, beer drinker, and one among the fence. I am joined, as always, by my arch-nemesis, Jack John. Oh, How's no. How's it going, man? <laughs> they got dark arch-nemesis. You know, I, I wish that that was just a career path you could still have. Um, just being a bad guy, just as a profession. It just kind of like, kind of like you and Cody uh, yeah. talk about wanting to the bar or the town drunk yes. to be uh, to when, still be a profession. When like you, you would go to a town and be, oh, that's that's old Gregory, the town drunk. He just we give him beer and he doesn't OD in our in our uh, in our alleyway. It's it's a very mutual thing we have going. We miss that as a profession <laughs> as well. But like yeah, ne'er do well, evil doer, uh, drunk, just like. Like mustache twirling. Yeah, Dick Dastardly like, didn't have a day job. His day job was crime. <laughs> That's what I want in life. But yes, I'm doing great. Um, it's been kind of a big, uh, big gap. At least lately, we've been we've been consistent for the last few yeah. episodes. But um, we had our live show, um, and then I went on vacation. <laughs> yes. How dare you have free time? Uh, yeah, right. But how how was your vacation? I I hear you went somewhere that you enjoy going. I did. Uh, so I went to Asheville, North Carolina again. Um, I go, I go once or twice a year, um, and mostly because one of my best friends lives in Asheville. Um, he, so I go down to see him. Um, but. The bonus is the beer is really, 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 really good there. It's it's a business trip for you. It's a business trip. Yeah, I can write it off and shit. <laughs> I mean, you do your taxes right, you could write that off as a business expense. Uh, but yeah, it was a ton of fun. Um, went to most of the same places that I usually go. I'm not going to labor on, on on this trip because I'm pretty sure I went on it twice last year and <laughs> talked at length about it. Um, I did. I did a couple of new things. Um, one, I did a tour of um, Forestry Camp, which is Burial Brewing's production facility and like restaurant. Um, super, super cool. I always love going on uh, brewery tours. Uh, just getting to to get into the production facility and see the cool shit that's going on. Um, I sent you a couple of pictures from their uh, from their barrel room. Yes, actually, while I was there, <laughs> it looks phenomenal. Like everything I saw, uh, I was super jealous of that tour you were on. Yeah, it's super. It's super fun. Um, and I actually I made friends with our tour guide because um, she was talking about how she's studying for her uh, Cicerone level two certification, oh, and I was like, "Hey, me too." <laughs> Hell yeah! Yeah, yeah, pretty dope. Pretty good trip, pretty fun. I came back uh, with a lot of beer, um, and I'm actually going to be drinking one today. Um, but what about you, Jack? You, I know you also went on a little bit of a vacation. 
Um, oh, also, we got to hang out. Yes. I forgot about that. that it's, yes. It feels like we've done an episode since then, but right. I think it's mostly because we've like we've done a and d session. We've done a couple of yeah. other things since we, We've then. hung out since then, but we haven't recorded an episode. But yeah, I got to do a little trip. I got to see you and hang out with some, uh, some old friends uh, from Jacksonville. Got to go ahead, go to one of my favorite old bars there in town, get hammered. Hammered, hammered, hammered. Uh, uh, how did you feel about being able to eat like pretty good food? Oh my! It was it was surreal. It was right. So, so that, <laughs> that bar now has like a full kitchen back there, which was just weird to me in itself. And then I ordered uh, like a burrito bowl, and it had shrimp in it, and like yeah. a really nice hot sauce, and it was phenomenal. Yeah. It was- it's always funny. Like I, I've been waiting for you to come back because it's the bar we all like. We all used to hang out with. It's it was essentially so. like a dive bar in a college town, like the bar yeah. furthest away from the college that mostly townies went to, and like a couple of the college kids. But like, it was, it was popping. The kitchen was dope as hell. Had some good beers. It was, it felt exactly the same as it always had been, but with like a lot of great additions to it. Yeah, it's always like because I still live here. Yeah. Um. And it's like when I go to bars, which admittedly isn't very often anymore. Right. Um, but that's where that's where we go. And it's a little bit different seeing the like gradual growth of the place as it is for someone like you who hasn't been here in what did we decide? It was like, like six or seven five or years? six years, yeah. Because it was right yeah. before I started dating my now wife. But like it was just like, damn, this place is coming up. I like it. Fucking door dashing out. Fucking burrito bowls and shit from the kitchen. Yeah, man. Like while I was there, a couple people got DoorDash. It was just like, oh, that's yeah. dope. Yeah, Kelsey and I go uh, most Thursdays because I I generally have that day off, so we have kind of a standing lunch date. And we we went we went this week. Uh, we went to go get lunch, and I beat her there, um, because she was, you know, at work being responsible, and I was just sitting at home putting off prepping for the D and D session that night, and and, uh, and there were a bunch of people there, and they they had gotten there before us. They ate and and left before we were done. But I was talking to uh, talking to the the person who cooks, who I I know I've known for years, and I was like, I I'm so happy to see a bunch of people in here. It's awesome. I'm glad to see you guys successful and busy. I just don't want them here when I'm here. <laughs> You're like, look, this has been long established pookie time. And, yeah. And it's me and a couple other locals. There's, I had to wait. I don't want that. Yeah. I want you to be like, good, but I want my beer. What the fuck? They were sitting in my spot. Oh. <laughs> you never take somebody's spot at the bar. It's rude. Uh, I can't even say that. I don't go there enough to have a spot anymore. <laughs> there, there may have been a point in time where, like, it would have been weird for someone to sit there, but yeah, not anymore. Right. But yeah, I got to do that. Hung out with uh, Cody. We spent an entire because I got, I got there uh, Saturday, and then the entirety of Sunday, Cody and I just drank on the couch and watched like uh, old episodes of Dragon Ball Z and like Most Extreme Elimination Challenge, some Mystery Science Theater. Like, just made a fucking lazy Sunday of the whole day. We went and saw Jackass Four in theaters it was it was like a good full-fledged like mental health cleanse of a weekend for me yeah well and another 
kind of positive is like I I am cautiously optimistic about the path of the raging global pandemic. Um, and things seem to be starting to close down. The, the world's kind of either getting used to um, being more responsible or it, it's just kind of like leveling out. I haven't decided which is true yet. Right. Um, I'm but hoping... it, it's nice to be able to feel more comfortable doing shit yeah. again. I didn't have as many like reservations. I usually don't go out at all. Uh, and I didn't really have any like concerns or like reservations when I was out. Uh, I'm vaccinated. I also was with a lot of friends that I trust, um, which helps as well. Um, and then uh, I ended up going to a concert on Monday in St. Louis when saw the Wonder Years, which is one of my favorite all-time bands. I saw Spanish Love Songs, which is one of my new favorite bands. And like the venue had like a hey, please wear your fucking mask inside like policy. I loved that. And, like, wore a mask for a, a three-hour show, moshed, and, like, it wasn't intrusive to me. And I, I know it makes the band feel safer because they're fucking touring. Um, right. But, like, I felt comfortable the entire time I was out and about while, like, being as responsible as possible. Well, yeah, so I went... I, I also got to see a show while I was down there, and I, I was a little... uh little uh hammered <laughs> by the end of it uh because they had they had 20 ounce pbrs for like eight dollars oh venue. shit That's... so i drank like four of those <laughs> <laughs> um but i was te i texted you when i got home i was like dude it's such a it's such a weird like special kind of nostalgia to see like an old favorite band. Yes. You know, so I went and saw Coheed and Cambria. It was a ton of fun. Um, they're, they're doing like a small venue tour before they do their big tour. Right. Uh, basically immediately after. They're just kind of warming back up because they haven't been doing tours and stuff either. Yeah. Um, but it was at, at a venue in Asheville called the Orange Peel, which is... Uh, it's not like tiny. It's not like a you know. It's not like a DIY punk rock venue, right? But it's not a big venue by it's any. It's probably means. like a five hundred capacity or something. I bet. Yeah, probably something like that. I don't know for sure, but uh, it it reminds me of like a high school gym. Yeah, it's about it's about high school gym sized. And uh, I honestly, I'd be willing to bet a lot of a lot of the buildings in that part of the city are repurposed old buildings so i'm sure if i just like spent any amount of time looking it up <laughs> i could tell you what it used to be but right like um, a building so old it's got a wikipedia article about it or some shit well yeah but like a lot of that part of town um well kind of not so great part of the history of Asheville, but they used to be the um like industrial district but also the black neighborhoods yeah and then gentrification, and now it's um, venues and breweries, which I am on board with making areas nice. Right. The problem is you have to keep everyone else 
being able to live. Right. Unfortunately, a big part of, like, the modernizing and, like, rejuvenating of neighborhoods also cost-effectively pushes a lot of families out of it, unfortunately. And it makes it, like, houses that, like, people have had for a long time, like, unaffordable for them then. Right. Which is very, yeah. very an unfortunate aspect of, like, oh, look at all these new houses popping up in this old neighborhood. Well, odds are the, the neighborhood's not the same as it was. Yeah, and Asheville tends to be a fairly liberal city, but they they are still in the South, and they kind of... Uh, they tend to gloss over that kind of information whenever they're talking about this kind of stuff. So right. something that I felt the need to to kind of shoehorn in as we're talking about it. But anyway, show was super fun. Hell yeah. <laughs> Not to be a downer, but right. you know, I mean, it's important to know. Yeah. And tonight again, I saw I saw Koki last year. They're phenomenal. Yeah. So much fun live. Like it well, so the show the show made me feel old and not not in such a way that like there were young kids and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm so old. I'm at the show. It was the opposite of that. Everyone at the show was my age. <laughs> it's like, oh, like there weren't like teenagers there. Yeah. It's like, oh, like, like kids don't listen to this band anymore. I had this... <laughs> like this band got very famous when I was in high school. Yeah. I had the exact same reaction. It would have been three years ago now when I saw Foo Fighters. Yeah. And I was like, Foo Fighters, fucking loud rock. Oh, I was, I was like, we had tickets for like the standing pit. And I was telling everyone there, I was like, it's, it's going to be raucous, man. Kids are going to be fucking flying. Like, Foo Fighters are crazy. And then it's just a bunch of like people my age and up just like standing there with like in their dad's shorts going, I remember when I used to hear this song. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, this isn't what I expected. And I loved the show. Foo Fighters played for like two and a half fucking hours. Yeah. But also, I was just like, huh, Foo Fighters is old rock now. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it made me feel old. Because, like, the first time I saw Coe and Cambria, well, this is how long it's been since I saw Coe and Cambria. When you saw them, I'm willing to bet they ended, at least before their encore, with uh, the final cut. Which yes. is that big Guitar Hero, or Guitar Hero, Guitar yeah. Solo song. Yes. The first time I saw Coheed and Cambria, that song wasn't out yet. It's <laughs> not, they've, they've yeah. closed their sets with that song for years yeah. and years now. Uh, that song wasn't out yet when I saw <laughs> Coheed and Cambria. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure their, their big, big closer was Welcome Home. Because um, I, don't, I don't think they officially had like a full encore just because of how like Riot Fest was set up. But okay, I'm pretty sure like, that was the lead into Welcome Home. Yeah. So like every like live set I've seen them do, um, they they close with the final cut and then they leave the stage. But they're a very famous band with a lot of rabid followers. Like I don't know that they've ever not played an encore if given the opportunity to play an encore. Right, yeah. <laughs> No, I, I just looked it up. They played nine songs, and then the last two were Final Cut and then Welcome Home. Yeah, yeah. I think they, I think they closed on Welcome Home, uh, on their encore. Yeah, I mean, right. they, at that point, they have to. That's their most recognizable. Yeah. Like, if you know one song from Coheed and Cambria, you know Welcome Home. Yeah, it was it was just really cool because like Claudio, the lead singer, uh, he only had to sing like half of his lyrics, right? Because <laughs> You know, 
And every time he stopped singing, he just like had a very like childish grin. He's like, this is fucking like yeah. dude's living his best fucking life. Oh, yeah. Like this is all music I wrote and people know all like I don't even have to sing. Right. <laughs> and like it and I've I've been to a couple concerts now since like everything started reopening up. Uh but the Wonder Years, uh the band that I saw, like this was their first tour back. They were supposed to do this tour two years ago, and they're finally getting to do it now. And um, uh, Soupy, the lead singer, he'd made it a point. He was like, we're probably not the first band you've seen back since everything opened up, but this is our first tour back. And like you'll hear it a lot, but like it still rings true for everyone who says it, no matter how t- many times you've heard it. Like We're so thankful to be able to get to do this again and hear the responses you guys give. Like It's still like such... like Granted, I saw Coheed... Uh, six months ago, right? But like that was, I think, probably their first tour, like or their first show, and then this is probably their first full tour. Like I'm sure yeah, it's still like say, getting I... those emotions again, fresh, right. like that happening. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think they tour. I'd have to look, but yeah, again, some a question that could be answered with two minutes of research, but I just <laughs> can't be fucked. Yeah, but also <laughs> like hearing sound in a small, intimate venue like that is completely different than like an open air concert like when i saw them like it's a completely different feeling of like that sound reverberating yeah well and i just i prefer smaller venues yeah like that. i'm the same um, mostly because a lot of the shows i used to go to were like metalcore shows and right just more fun in small venues <laughs> if, if, a, if a concert comes through and it's in an arena tour i'm like oh that's disappointing yeah uh, i still firmly believe it i'm I'm probably going to get to the point where I don't believe this anymore as I get older, but if I buy tickets to a concert and I have a physical seat, nine times out of ten, I'm very disappointed about that. The one time I wasn't is when I saw Elton John, and I was like, no, it's cool. I can, I can sit for this. Yeah, like shows like that, sure. Yeah. Uh, but if you're going to go see like a high energy, like you're going to go see a rock band play, if you're right. going to go see like a metal band play... Something like that. You don't want to be. You don't want to be sitting. Right. Exactly. Uh, it was really funny though. You guys were talking about going to the show because it was you and Cody and Alex. Yes. Um, the the cast of Here's a Guy <laughs> that went to go see the show. Um, and you guys were talking about how like you actually you felt pretty good the next day. And I was listening to this uh, on Sunday on the way home from vacation, <laughs> and I was still kind of sore. Yeah. I was like. Fuck you guys! What the hell did I do wrong? Because like I didn't even do any like moshing or anything. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was a, it was an excitable crowd and everyone knew all the words, but there wasn't any like right. There wasn't any moshing or anything like that at the show. Everyone was just kind of like hanging out and enjoying yeah. the show. Um, but how recently had you seen a concert before that? Uh, I think many years. Yeah, yeah. Honest. So like that, that's probably been like. I had seen like several concerts leading up to that in the last year. So like my body was used to it again. When we went to Riot Fest, that was my first time being at concerts. And granted, that's a full day festival. But even like three hours in, I was just like, okay, um, this is a lot. I'm three days? Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we've gone on and on long yeah, enough. Yeah. Um, I, we're almost 20 minutes in. We haven't even gotten to our chunk yeah uh yeah jack what do you got what do you got to drink yes drink so uh during this first bit it's actually timed out really well i was drinking 
a very fun beer called Hopopotamus. Mm-hmm. Hop, H-O-P, Hopopotamus from Metazoa Brewing. And it's a great beer, and I've had this beer before, and I really like it. It's an IPA. It's really good. It's nice. It's kind of got, like, the like, kind of, like, bitterness. Like, it's really, like, a good, nice, smooth IPA. When I was at the, the store recently, and this is a local brewery to me, I found something that caught my eye. And I have the Double Dry Hop Hopopotamus. Oh. And I, I just drank the Hopopotamus before this, and I'm going to kind of compare. And just see, I've never had the Double Dry Hop and I'm just going to say Hopopotamus a lot. EDH um, Hopopotamus. But this is from Metazoa Brewing, like I said. And this is a double dry hop version of our classic IPA with uh, added Nelson, Sauvin, and Pacific Sunrise hops. I'm sure I mispronounced that, but I don't care. It, I'm going to be very, very excited to, delish, to delicious this, to drink this delicious beer. I can't talk. Yeah, you this- don't uh, regularly speak for either your day job or your side gigs it's not like that's entirely what you do <laughs> i make a lot of everything. money I make a lot <laughs> of money talking um <laughs> bad at it and i'm really bad at it but this uh uh dry hop with new zealand hops shout out to all our new zealand homies i am very very excited to try this again metazoa is a great uh, local brewery to me i've been there you want to know the best part about going to Metazoa other than the beer? Um, what's that? It has a dog park. Oh. It is the dog brewery in Indianapolis. Uh, when I worked at a brewery downtown uh, during the summer, people would be like, hey, like, can I bring my dog in here? And we'd always tell them the same answer. No, but if you go a block down the road, Metazoa would love your dog. That's, uh, that's funny. So in Asheville... Like every building is dog friendly. Yeah, we were we were like dog friendly on the patio, but like because of like technically how I think it was like health and safety, like how it technically worked, we couldn't allow dogs inside. That's fair. But Metazoa has like an outdoor open dog park where they just fucking welcome it, and then they've got like a food truck off to the side for like people who are like with the dogs. Yeah. Ooh, that has like a noticeably like more like crisp flavor to it it's noticeably hoppier it's really good it's it's similar tasting it's i i didn't expect it to be like vastly different uh but it's like a nice like kind of like hoppier alternative it's really good i like this i like it it takes a little bit of that kind of like it has like a a beautiful hop flavor with it without being too much it's like nice and smooth very very delicious uh, but the beer is delicious. It tastes, it's very similar to the original with like, an, uh, like a slightly different hop flavor to it, but it's still really, really good. I don't know if I've ever had some of these hops in it. So the Pacific Sunrise hop, I don't think I've had those hops as well. So it's a more like unique flavor. It's not just like the same shit that like you always get where it's like, oh, mosaic hops and citra hops and all that. It's a, a nice new flavor for me as well. Yeah, Pacific Sunrise is not one that I'm at least not intimately familiar with. But yeah, you tend to get uh, Citra, Mosaic, uh, Nelson Sauvignon is is another one that uh, has been getting a lot more popular. I think if I, it sounds familiar. It might be one of the uh, one of the New Zealand hops that have been the Pacific Sunrises that have been getting kind of some traction. But I don't know for sure. Don't quote yeah. me on that. 
Yeah, very, very delicious. I I really like this. Uh, but Pookie, what do you have for us? I have... Uh, so like I said, I brought home a bunch of beer uh, from Asheville. And I brought home uh, one specific one that I was planning on drinking soon rather than aging. Uh, because it is a milk sour. Or, excuse me, not a milk sour. A milk stout. Um, not necessarily labeled as a milk stout. Um, but this is vehement antipathy for the unrealistic uh, from Burial Brewing. Surprise, surprise. Uh, it is an imperial stout with onyx El Salvador coffee, roasted cashews, cocoa nibs, Tahitian vanilla bean, and lactose. Ooh. Um, and the reason I don't want to age it is because of the lactose. Right. So good. It's almost, it's got, it's really got a like, a diabetes coffee characteristic to it because it's really creamy. It's a fourteen percent beer, and there is a, you you do get a little bit of like alcohol astringency on it, but not not crazy. Um, the the cocoa and vanilla, like the chocolate and vanilla, are there. The coffee is definitely there. Roasted cashews, I think, might be where I'm getting some of this caramel. Um, yeah, this is just a... It was funny, before we started recording, I had a beer picked out, and I was looking at it, and I was like, no, I want I want a candy beer. <laughs> <laughs> and I got, like, I got it. This is really good. Um, everything they make is really good. I, I had brought home a, a four-pack of the, one of their IPAs, a triple IPA, um, and I drank two of them on my stream Wednesday, and I drank two of them during D and D Thursday. So that's all gone. Um, but I'm glad I saved this one for the show because this is incredible. It's creamy. It's sweet. Um, the uh, at fourteen percent, it's a huge hitter, but it's not overly astringent. This is really good. No, it sounds fantastic. That sounds like the perfect beer right now. And it's still, uh, it's still kind of chilly out, um, so I wanted to get my, kind of start emptying my stout reserves, <laughs> at least stuff that I was planning on drinking sooner. Right. Because once it gets hot out, I'm not going to be one in drinking these big, heavy, sweet right. beers, you when know? When the sun's just beating down on you. Yeah. It's not a beer you drink while you're sweating. Yeah. It's the kind of beer you drink to make you sweaty. Ooh. <laughs> my lord that sounds that sounds beautiful I need to go with you one one of these trips because you always just bring back this the most insane fucking barrel aged shit and all these fucking stouts and shit and I just need to be on that trip once yeah no, I, I texted you I was down there I, yeah. I demanded that you came next time I went yes Pookie yes it does not matter if you like that beer. No, it doesn't. It doesn't matter if I like it. We all know I'm going to like it. I picked it to drink. <laughs> what matters is, will your wife hate that beer? Probably. But let's go find out. <laughs> let's go find out. So, to absolutely nobody's surprise, my super sweet Imperial Stout, uh, Kelsey didn't. Kelsey didn't love it. Uh, or like it, or want to drink it. 
I handed her the glass, and it, I mean it. It just looks like tar in a glass. I right. Mean, it, it, this black beer. Um, I handed it to her. She goes, "I'm not gonna like it." I was like, "Yeah, well, I knew that." <laughs> it's like it's fine. It tastes like a it tastes like a Starbucks drink. And she took a sip and she made a face. She said it tasted like uh, it tasted like a mocha that got left out for like five days, and she accidentally drank because she set her new one next to it. <laughs> I love that very specific description that I can exactly tell what she's talking about. Yep, <laughs> that's that's a perfect. I'm sure, I'm sure that's perfect. Yes, uh, and unfortunately, we don't get to find out. Yeah. Uh, what ob- obscure store Laura is going to give your beer because uh, she's not home. But yeah, Laura Laura is out of town this weekend. Uh, but I can tell you, she will not like this IPA. She does not like IPAs in general. She's not going to like a double dry hopped IPA. No, uh, like a, a DDH is like is like the IPAist of IPAs. Right. Uh, Laura would probably give this a flat zero, honestly. She's giving it a 2.789 yeah. uh, out of 13. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she didn't like it. She gave it a 7 out of 10. <laughs> well, we need, I need like a rolling, um, like a, like when you, uh, if like you're absent uh, for like a test, like the teacher just default gives you like a 35% or whatever. Like I need to give like a, a Laura grade. Like Laura wasn't here to drink this beer, but she gives it a 3 out of 7. Mm-hmm. Just uh, just roll a d10. <laughs> let me let me random. go let me go to my uh, Twitch channel real quick, and I'm gonna roll a d20, and we're gonna see what Laura gave this beer. We're gonna divide by two. Yeah, I just have I, I um, just have. I rolled a three. Laura gave this a one and a half out of ten. As you say, I just have fair. a box of dice next to me. Yeah, I don't I, I don't have that. the dice. Uh, yeah, I on my Twitch channel I hit exclamation roll, which rolls a d20. And, uh, yeah, Laura gives this beer a one out of half out of ten, which probably accurate. It might be a little yeah. high, but I'll believe it. Yeah. Uh, that's a good enough segue. Speaking of <laughs> Twitch channels. Yes. How's your wheel run going? Oh, my God. So I'm playing Grand Theft Auto V with my steering wheel. And I love it. But it is draining. It's It's something where, like, GTA is very much a run and gun game. Like there's some yeah. there's some stealth optional, but for the most part, if you wanted to in Grand Theft Auto, you can just like bull rush your way through everything. With the wheel, I have I'm using a Logitech steering wheel to like essentially replace my mouse. Um and then I've got like my pedals where I essentially like, shoot and move with those. And it it very quickly becomes tank controls where like you're very lumbering and you can basically move straight and then you can maybe strafe a little bit, but mostly you're just, you're running forward and it doesn't really work well with GTA. It it works enough that I've, I've beaten half of the game now with the, the wheel, but I've, I've basically, I've run into two problems. One mm-hmm. is that I can't, and the hardest part is driving, surprisingly enough. I can't drive in the game. Well, I'm very, very bad at driving with the wheel, which is just 
how the controls could, line up. Yeah, I could see how that could be a pain in the ass. I, I think the last one I watched you play, uh, you were in a helicopter and you you kept having to like change your your key bindings to make it work. Right. But I can imagine with the wheel set up to control because most of what you want to control is you're walking around. Right. But then switching that to driving a car, I could see that being such a pain in the ass. Right. And and basically what I have to do is I have to make a like a control layout that works well for walking and for driving and for flying. And it's hard to hit all three of those at the same time. Uh, which leads me to my second point. The real hardest part is that there's so many goddamn buttons that you have to press in GTA. <laughs> so many goddamn buttons. And my wheel has a limited number of buttons. And I, I can't do both. I, there's the, like, I have to stop the stream a lot to like reopen like the program that I'm using to mod my steering wheel and remap the keys. I'm doing right. that like twice a stream. Right. So it's something that like I just need more buttons and I don't have buttons. <laughs> I need more buttons. Right. So that's it's it's a ton of fun though. It's a ton of fun. And it, it's something where like I've legitimately thought of like am I am I just the wheel guy on Twitch now? Like you can do it. It's not hard. The only problem is when I run out of buttons, and then I'm just kind of stuck. Yeah. yeah. So what's uh, what's next on your list? Uh, I know Final Fantasy VII is soon. Yes. Yeah, so um, the next next on the list, next? Undertale is next, and yeah. then we go to Final Fantasy VII. Uh, what I love is it's uh, again I'm, I'm I'm playing through my my backlog of games, so I'm. I'm getting to play a lot of these games sometimes for the first time. The first game we played was my uh, my friend Pedro, which is just like a fun, uh, over the top side scrolling shooter with just some yeah. ridiculous mechanics in it. Yeah, I remember when that came out. It was right around the time Deadpool came out. I think it was very heavily inspired by it. That makes sense. Honestly, that does make sense. It's it's very. It's very cartoonish in just how wacky it is. Yeah. Um, I remember buying it for a friend a long time ago. Like, uh, we did, like, a, a Christmas gift exchange, my friend Drew and I. And I was, like, looking to buy him a Switch game. And I saw that. Like, they had a physical copy of that for the Switch. And I was like, this seems silly. I'm going to buy this for him. But, like, it was a fun game. And it was a game that I've had on Steam for, like, five years. And I finally fucking played it. And that's really a lot of what this challenge is that I'm doing for myself, which is like playing my backlog. And Undertale is going to be the next one on that list. I've never played Undertale. Very, very uh, I excited. haven't either. I, yeah. I bought it on a sale not all that long ago for just a couple of bucks. I think you probably also bought it on that sale unless right. you've been sitting on it for a while. Um, but... It's uh, it, it's one that I've always wanted to play, basically since it came out. I yeah. mean, it's, it's not even, like, cult status popular. It's just straight-up popular. Like, right. And it, it's a game that I've, I've heard so much about to the point where, like, I know information about the game even before playing it. Like, I know kind of, like, the general, like, ebbs and flows and, like, the, like, yeah. oh, 
Like, technically, there's different endings on how many fucking bosses you kill and how you, like, go... Right. Like, you can do it as, like, a pacifist run or a genocide run where, like, you, you kill nothing or everything. And yeah. I really like that aspect of the game. It's just a game, for whatever reason, I've never sat down to play. Yeah. Um, I I am kind of in the same way. You, you just... It's one that, you know, kind of especially in the in the spheres that we tend to hang out in um it's one that was when it came out it was super popular on twitch right twitch and youtube let's plays and and stuff like that and almost in the same way that like cuphead was big or even uh in a different vein like hollow knight like those are all kind of like kind of lumped together of like these like low like like not really known like devs and companies where it's like pumping out these insane games like all around the same time. Uh, uh and it, it was kind of minimal when... effort. Not minimal effort, but like minimal resources. Right, yeah, minimal resources. It was kind of the uh the like indie game renaissance was yes. all a lot of those games kind of came out within the same right sphere of influence. And even um, before that, a little bit with, like, Fez and that whole mm-hmm. shit. And then there was the documentary about video games, even though the dude who made Fez is a total asshole. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... You don't have to just play AAA games. That's, right, yeah. There are lots and lots of other options that are from less evil companies. Yes. Uh, <laughs> That being said, there are, I mean, there are still AAA games that come out and are good. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I've isn't seen... technically Final Fantasy a AAA game? Oh, yeah. That's, like, at this, and... I know I know. when it first came out, it may have been a, like slightly smaller, but it was still... No, know, no. Final I mean, Fantasy has been AAA products since, basically since 7 came out. Probably gotcha. even before that. Um, but, like, Square Enix is... I wasn't sure when they officially not, became a yeah. big company. Yeah, it's not uh, the best yeah. <laughs> company in the world. But, I mean, I've even heard... I've heard nothing but good things about um, Elden Ring and yeah. From Software. I mean, From Software seems to be like the, hey, we're not going to put out a ton of games, but when we put out a game, you're going to know it's our game, and we're going to put fucking effort and, like, I think the worst thing I've ever heard about a From Software game is that it's not hard enough. Like, well, yeah, where people would like, always... complain about like Dark Souls Three not being a true Souls game because it catered to the the casual fan and it made it easier, and it's still yeah. a fucking Dark Souls game, which is fucking stupid. Yeah. The whole yeah. argument, like the get good argument, right. fuck off on that. Yeah, accessibility is important, you guys. Right. Yeah, we've talked about it before. It's like the reason we started this show is so we could get more people to be into the stuff we're into. Right. I And accessibility is, is how that is done. Right. Like if your product is too difficult or too out there or over everyone's head, like that doesn't make you cool because you get it. It right. makes it so that you don't get to enjoy the things you enjoy because not enough people like it. Like I, that's that's what it is. I had saw a tweet that I ended up liking, and it, was, it, it it like was like one of those like, hey, based on the shit you interact with, you'll like this tweet. And it was something where it was like, I returns Elden Ring, 
due to its lack of accessibility. And someone was like, you just need to get good at the game. And he was like, no, I'm talking about legitimate accessibility for people who are like, uh, like hearing compromise and like sight, like who, people who yeah. are seeing compromise. Like it needs more actual accessibility, like metrics and like yeah. abilities to be like played for all people. Like not the fucking difficulty, you jackass. Yeah, the, the difficulty level of a game, like adding an easier mode or being able to adjust certain aspects of a game right to make it more accessible isn't it it does not diminish your experience of the game right and and it's the same people who it's like like on twitch especially like like not everything has to be a hard mode like sometimes you can just play something just to enjoy the fucking story like there's sometimes where i'll see things on twitch where it's just like oh like you're only doing so well because you're playing on this difficulty yeah, and I'm fucking enjoying it on this difficulty. Like, if you play, if you play Madden and you play it on rookie, or I think it's rookie in Madden. I think it's freshman in the NCAA games. But like, if you play it on that difficulty, and you enjoy it at the difficulty, that does not detract from your enjoyment. That means you're having fun at that difficulty. Sometimes and, I want to score a hundred fucking points on a team I don't like, and that's right. perfectly fine. And you want to know the dirty secret about Twitch and any content creation? Yes. People are going to engage with it more if you're having fun. Yes. If you're just sitting there a fucking salt shaker yes. in front of a camera, like nobody's going to want to watch that. Right. I, I think I think I've told the story. I know I've told it on Twitch. I don't know if I've told it on the podcast. I I very first made a Twitch account like 10 years ago. And the account that I made was called Watch Me Yell at Games. And I was going to be a rage streamer. And I was going to be the saltiest motherfucker. And I was going to play games on hard mode. And I was just going to yell. And I was going to break through by being the, like, angry react streamer. And I'm so fucking glad that never happened. Like, that niche existed. Right. And I thought that was going to be my in. Yeah. But guess what, guys? I don't. I don't know about you. I follow. I don't know a couple dozen streamers. Uh, now, to be fair, I don't follow a ton of like big, huge, like yeah, you know, you know, five hundred to fifteen hundred regular viewer streamers. But um, none of them are rage streamers. I don't. I, I'm unaware. Maybe I'm just old and, yeah. and I'm not keyed into what the kids are keyed into right. anymore. But uh, I I don't watch I I I haven't watched rage streamers since like 2010. Right, and that, and that's around <laughs> the time where I was just like, this is gonna be me, man. I can I can yell I can yell. This is this is it. And yeah, like, like, it's not fun. That, it's not yeah. fun. That for niche me just personally is not popular anymore. Yes, it's not fun to watch. It's it can be a little cringy to watch a grown-ass man throw a temper tantrum about a video game right but like it also and we've talked about this too and i know we wanted to talk about this for this episode specifically but like most of the streamers that i follow are just so goddamn wholesome and like so like the like welcoming like fostering welcoming communities is a big thing for me personally and absolutely um, and we talked about we we sorry we talked about uh 
before we started recording, I was like, hey, I just want to touch on this because I feel like we talk about this. Yes. Like every episode. Yes. <laughs> but it's because it's it's so good. Right. That's, that's one of the reasons we talk about it so often. And but... like, you, you talk about your experiences and most of my experiences with Twitch are wholesome as hell. Yeah. They're good, you know? Yeah. Um, so, like, do a, a quick, like, recent example. Um, you talked about you don't watch, like, too many, like, big streamers. I watch a couple, quote-unquote, big streamers. And for me, a big streamer is, like, 100 to 500 viewers. Like, those... Yeah, no, when I say, when yeah. I say like, big streamer, I'm talking about, like, uh, like, I follow... Let me pull it up here. I know, like, I was I follow watching... Strippin, right? I, was... I follow Strippin, and he has... Just shy of two thousand people watching him yeah. right now, and like I watched so, a couple big people. I watched Small Ant One, who just won like the best uh, speedrun streamer award on like some streamer fucking bullshit thing. Mm-hmm. But like he gets like thousands of people. I watched Doug Doug W, who's one fun. I watched him. He he's like in the thousands. But like I was watching uh, Chainbrain, who like I've I've talked to you about. But he's a rocksmith streamer. He plays guitar and he's fucking amazing. But like he also gets like. Sometimes, like, 500 people watching him. And, like, he'll read his chat. And somebody said some, like, wildly racist shit. And before Chainbrain could even say anything, his mod team had already booted the dude the fuck out. And Chainbrain, in front of everyone, he was like, get the fuck out of here. And it was basically like, we don't foster that shit in here. If you're going to be like that, I don't care how long you've subbed this channel. Get the fuck out of here. And it was so refreshing to see somebody just be like, hey... I don't care if you pay me money. I'm not going to tolerate that shit here. We are welcoming of all people, of all lifestyles. But if you're going to be racist, homophobic, xenophobic, whatever, get the fuck out. And it was just so yeah. fucking refreshing to see that as what I consider a, a huge streamer to do that. Right. To like right. to find one thing in the chat and be like, that doesn't fit what we're doing here. And even if no one saw it, I don't want it anywhere near here. Get him the fuck out. Yeah. And it's good to have a mod team that you can rely oh, absolutely. on to boot that kind of shit. And like Twitch I, is doing a sorry to cut you off there. Twitch is doing no, like a like shout out your mods thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be submitting to that because I also love my mods. That's me. I mean, honestly, there's a couple mods where I'm like, I don't know if I can submit it for multiple mods, but like I'm going to try to submit for multiple mods because I love all my fucking mods and they're amazing. Well, yeah, and that's I was just gonna say, like, I uh I haven't seen anything i know you got you got hate rated once i i did not but i've been in chats that have been hate rated i thought you got hate rated, or maybe it was just like i a, was a... there when um when laura laura buzz got hate rated i was in uh... i was in hers and i talked to you about that yeah i thought you got or maybe it wasn't necessarily a hate raid but it was like you had opened a public uh oh the, the yes no Oh, that was just two trolls who wanted to say the N-word, and we booted them the ah. fuck out. Yeah, so, like, the the one time, at least, that I've seen on your stream that yeah. there was issues, or right. at least I've heard Which, on your like, stream that there's issues. That's just apparently a bigger fucking thing. If you're a streamer and you watch this, one, welcome in. Uh, but two, never, never openly stream Jackbox games, because it apparently just actually, mm-hmm. like, welcomes in fucking dumbass uh, cringe trolls. And it was it was awful. Um, and I haven't streamed Jackbox since because no, never again. And I think we talked about this. Sorry, you mentioned Laura K. Buzz. Yeah. Um, 
who I love. Yes. I was introduced to her from the Jimquisition from James Stephanie Sterling because I used to watch their YouTube channel. Yes, a lot, and I've talked about it before yeah. on the show. And I, I think I either found her through you or just organically through Twitch's algorithm. Well, yeah, that's the thing is I think you ended up finding her organically because yes. she does a lot of nintendo like yes. pokemon and she does uh she or she used to do like cooking mama speed runs yeah but she does she's she's uh really into like nintendo stuff yes uh if you don't uh go check out laura k buzz she's great yes she's she is. funny and she plays cool games but um that's how i was introduced to her because she's on the jimquisition podcast that I used to listen to a lot. And I say used to, yeah. not because I don't want to anymore, but because the more projects I start <laughs> and the more involved on Twitch I'm getting, the less and less free time I have. And I, we talked about this on the last episode. Was the last episode or was it actually the live show where we talked about kind of our creative process? The last uh, pre-recorded episode. We didn't do okay, it on live. So the last, gotcha. Sorry. Yeah, time doesn't mean anything to me. Oh, and, and I'm the same way. I between spending time on my job, um, between uh, the stream, between the two podcasts that I do, and my wife, I don't remember shit. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, oh, yeah like, this happened yesterday. That happened a week ago. Well, fuck. To me, it was yesterday. Yep. Yeah, like part of my creative process uh, when I really am like at a block or just I need just because of my brain I need things going on all the time but I consume a ton of fiction media yes while I'm writing so basically anything that I'm listening to watching or reading right now well reading not so much reading I generally do nonfiction historical stuff because yeah. I directly take influence from that especially for D&D. But what I'm listening to and what I'm watching, I I have to spend my time doing like inspirational fiction. Like yeah. I uh because we're doing this kind of folk horror campaign right now, I am re-listening to uh the Magnus Archives, which is a podcast from the Rusty Quill, which is kind pro which is a podcast production company. Um but it's like this this kind of broad reaching, I think it's like 100, 180, 190 some odd episodes um, of this like radio drama um, horror story. But it's also kind of segmented into each episode as its own horror story. It's very good. I cannot recommend it enough. It's very, very good. Um, that being said, that's what I've been listening to a lot just to kind of get my brain into that mode. Right. Um, when I start really dumping my time into the next D and D project, it'll probably be a different genre, um, depending on what kind of mood we end up going for, yeah. and also what kind of project it ends up being. Um, but I don't have I, that. All to be said, I don't have time to watch and listen to the stuff that I uh, like. <laughs> right, and it, and it's very much not even just like how much time do you have, but it's like. What do you want to dedicate that little bit of free time you have towards? Like, 
it's like people it's always, like your buttons. People like always wheel, ask man. me. Yeah. People, I, I need more I need I, more hours. You need more buttons. I yes, need more hours. Exactly. But like <laughs> people will be like, hey, did you watch like this new thing? I know you like it. I'm like, I like it, but I don't have time to watch it. That's I why I feel bad. The like Marvel TV universe. Cause like yeah. I'm sure I would love WandaVision. I'm sure I would love the Loki series. Uh yeah. Falcon and Winter Soldier, I'm sure is great. I love Marvel. People are always like, hey, did you see this? I'm like, I don't have fucking time, dude. <laughs> I would yeah. love to sit down and watch eight straight hours of bullshit, but there's eight other hours of bullshit that I want to dedicate time towards. Yeah, That's not, I kind of felt bad. I don't think any of you guys actually did it, but uh, during our session zero, I assigned homework. Uh, the other Turpins were able to watch it. I didn't have time to. Okay. Did, I, I, I actually I haven't had I watched to. enough of it to understand that it's animated, right? Yeah. Yeah. I looked it up enough to see that. Okay. It's um, very it's, good. It's funny because I kept joking with uh, the Turpins. I was like, I need to watch Over the Hedge. That's what Pookie wants us to watch, right? Over Which, the Garden Wall. Oh, uh, yeah. But Over the Hedge is the DreamWorks, uh, like, uh, domesticated animals escaping suburbia movie. Oh, I don't think I've seen that movie. <laughs> It's it's an older like probably like twenty twelve. Oh, it's it's like huh. one of those like it was like really deep into like the DreamWorks smile, where like all the like main characters are smirking and they're looking over their shoulder with like a raised eyebrow. It's like very much like that era DreamWorks. You like jazz? <laughs> Pretty much like I think <laughs> I think it's Over the Hedge was that uh, DreamWorks movie, which I've seen before. And it was it was like it was funny for the time when I watched it, but I'm sure if I watched it now I'd be like, this is fucking awful. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Probably. it was also like in the era where like CGI was becoming more common, but less like it wasn't good yet. Yeah. Um now over the garden wall it has it has because I think it's some of the same animation team. Um it has some very uh flapjack vibes. To oh it. hell yeah. It's just kind of a different, a different the old, tone. Like, cartoon Network show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, yeah. it's a Cartoon Network production. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. I yeah. didn't look up that enough about it. I saw that it was animated. And I was like, cool. I recognize it. I know what I need to be looking for. Anyway, uh, in session zero, before our full core campaign, I asked my players to watch Over the Garden Wall uh, because I think it is a masterpiece of modern um, full core. Uh, and it kind of had more of the, um, we talked about this at the end of the session. I know who I'm playing with. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know the tone maybe <laughs> I want if I had complete control over everything yeah. that was happening. But I know who I'm playing with and who's yeah. who's in this project with me. Yeah. So I, I kind of started leaning more into that, where it is very unsettling and very creepy. Right. But still jokes and funny yeah and, and like I, I and i i try to be i try to be like cognizant of it uh but sometimes i just can't help myself and i blurt out dumb shit no, but like i also know that like i know the fine. tone you want and i try and like there was one point where i like we were like riffing a bunch and i was like all right pookie what do you have for us like i said that at one point in the last episode um yeah. but also i wanted to make a point i was editing i edited the live episode and posted it today when this came out uh, mm -hmm. Sunday the 12th? Is it the 12th? I don't even know what the fuck day it is. The, the, 13th, the 13th. Sunday the 13th. Okay. Um, and in the live episode, you're like, yeah, I was watching uh, Wicker Man. And I'll be goddamned if uh, the start of Session 2 wasn't just Wicker Man influenced as shit. With all of the um, 
Yes. Uh, except <laughs> so. Okay. So yes, the original Wicker Man, which is the one I watched. Yes. Which is not the Nick Cage one. Right. Which is a very good movie. It's an English uh, yes. horror film. English as in from England, right. not English as in a, the spoken language is English. Right. Uh, horror film. I think released 1971, something like that. I again another thing uh, that would take 40 seconds of research, and I could tell you the answer, but I just can't be fucked to do that right yeah. now. Um, but uh, Christopher Lee plays the villain, um, and uh, one of the the striking things about Christopher Lee in that movie, um, I apologize to anyone who like waits until we have several episodes out and listens to them back to back. I know I do that a lot with podcasts. Yeah. Because I'll, like, I'll find one that I like, and then I'll just, I won't listen to it for a while. Yeah. And I'll just listen to, like, four or five episodes in a row. Also, 1973. 1973. Thank you. Early 70s. Yeah. Um, Christopher Lee is in, like, his 40s, I think, in this movie. Like, he's not a young man. Yeah. (laughs) It just, it just kind of, like. He was born in 22, so in 73, he would have been 51. Yeah, it kind of puts into perspective how old he was. I'm on IMDb was... right now, so I can quickly fact check that. <laughs> when he was, uh, when he was in Lord of the Rings, yes, because he was Saruman, and I mean the first Lord of the Rings movie came out early 2000s. I'm sure we're just playing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon here uh, with Jack. 2001, on 2001 was yeah. Fellowship. So 2001, so he was in his um, late 70s. In uh, 2001? 2001, he would have been. 79. Yeah. And then he was in the Hobbit movies, which came out much later than that. Those were like 2012, weren't they? I'm going to guess 2012 yeah. before I actually look this up. Uh, the Hobbit on Second Journey 2012. Let's go. Oh, shit. Let's go. Look at you. Um, but yeah, so he was he was old. Yes. I mean, he was an old man. Right. That being said, fantastic in this movie. Um, I do know that Christopher Lee, in fact, said that he thinks the Wicker Man was one of the best movies he's ever been in. Um, but <laughs> it's funny. So if you go, and this is a complete sidetrack, and I'm very, very sorry. If you go to fine. Christopher Lee's IMDb, which is where I'm at right now, known mm-hmm. for, in order, Star Wars Episode Two is the first one that he's known for, according to IMDb. Yep. Then Lord of the Rings. Well, I knew he was in it, but it's. I think it's funny yeah. that that's above Lord of the Rings. Uh, Two Towers. And then number three is Wicker Man. Yeah. So yes, that, that holds up. Um, also, really good movie. Early. Yeah, if you have a chance, uh, I know it's on Shutter, uh, which is AMC's like horror movie subscription service. Yes. Um, but if you find another way to watch it, I, uh, I very highly you can recommend. Rent it on Amazon for four dollars. Yeah, if you're not like a huge gross horror nerd like me, where like Shudder is a uh, <laughs> is a is an <laughs> Shudder is a uh, uh, streaming service. No, that's not the word I'm looking for. Uh, like you put money in and it subscription. It's helpful. No, uh, it, uh... investment investment. investment. <laughs> <laughs> Shutter is a worthwhile investment for me. <laughs> you could because I will get time out of it. It's yes. cheap. I mean, yeah. it's not expensive. Honestly, and... I think it's it's like nine bucks a month or something like that. It's cheaper yeah. than most of the major streaming services. But right, I I get 
my money's worth out of that yes. service. Not everyone's well, Especially gonna. considering <laughs> what you use horror in that genre for. Like, you use I that as uh, an encyclopedia almost. Yeah, a, lo- a lot of times I do, yeah. I did, uh, Kelsey actually gave me a really good idea um, when I rearranged and uh, kind of uh, cleaned out and changed my office up a little bit. Um, and we did the same thing in our bedroom a little bit. And I now have an unused uh, TV. Ooh. I'm thinking about putting it behind me where my yeah. alien poster is and playing um, public domain horror movies. Ooh, I like that. They're, on stream. Uh... There was a guy that I watched on Twitter, or not on Twitter, on Twitch, who, like, in the background of him, like, he was he was a Rocksmith streamer. Uh, I, think it's, I think it was Saucy, uh, Saucy Sasquatch. Um, while he was playing Rocksmith, he had his Nintendo 64 hooked up to the TV, and it was doing, like, demo races of Diddy Kong Racing, or, like, some shit like that. Like, a cool interactive thing in the background. Yeah. Which is, honestly, a great eye-catcher. Yeah, I, uh, it, it's, she mentioned it, and then I had all sorts of ideas running through my head, because there was a bar actually in Asheville, unfortunately they have closed, oh. um, but it was, like, I, I, I may have told the story about it on the show before, I'm fairly certain I've at least talked to you about it before, but it is the most, like, if you wa- if you were to walk into this bar without me, you'd be like, oh, yeah. Pookie would fucking love this place. <laughs> It's there... a it's a metal bar, yes. or it was a metal bar that played old B horror movies on a loop on yes. a giant ass flat screen, and then like off in the corner by the bathroom, there was a glow in the dark Baphomet statue, um, and it was like craft beer and whiskey and mead, Ooh. and that's what they served at Bruh. this bar. That's amazing. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, so. So somebody just reached into my brain and made the <laughs> perfect bar. Yes. Okay. <laughs> They're, um, on my on the uh, honeymoon or not honeymoon anniversary trip that Laura and I took this past uh, November, we ended up going up to Beloit, Wisconsin. There was like a hotel chain that we really like. Uh, they, they've got a couple of hotels here in Indianapolis, and we wanted to go somewhere within driving distance that was new to both of us. And we ended up uh, going with mm-hmm. Beloit, which Beloit isn't like a tourist destination, but it has things in like the area that it's worth it. Um, it's just enough in, um, just enough inside Wisconsin where you can get good Wisconsin beer. You can get access to a shit ton of cheese while you also being like four or five hours from the Midwest. Um, but we went to a bar there, like in Beloit, like those, like right outside of our hotel. And like, they do, I guess like that bar that we went to has like theme nights or like theme weekends. And we walked in and all of their cocktails, it was November. So it was like beginning, like just outside of spooky season, but still in like the holiday season, which is what Harry Potter is basically. Mm-hmm. It's spooky. It's spooky Halloween with Christmas for some reason. That's what Harry Potter is, I guess. Uh, yeah. But the whole bar, uh, their entire menu was Harry Potter themed, so they had a bunch of like potion themed drinks, and they had like three different like old box TVs playing marathon Harry Potter movies. I don't give a shit about Harry Potter, but even I appreciated the aesthetic of everything yeah. that was this bar. And I love bars that lean in fully to an aesthetic. Oh, sorry. It, you just reminded me. Um, actually, it's because I clicked on the wrong tab and I pulled up my D&D notes. Um, 
on Sunday nights at the Black Cloud, uh, yes. which is what the bar was called, uh, they they lowered the level of the music and and the volume on the TV. They still were playing metal and still had uh, had their horror movies running. But Sunday nights were D and D night. Oh, at this bar. So that's you know, amazing. <laughs> that's, I I forgot to mention that little fact. So if you were just to take like all of the weird hobbies yes. that make up my personality and put them in a bar, like that's uh that's this bar, and it was so fucking cool. I'm, that's so. Dope. I'm really disappointed that they closed, and it wasn't necessarily because of um like they weren't making money. Were they just I a think, casualty of COVID? Uh, yes and no. From what I understand, um. The COVID kind of started hurting them a little bit. Yeah. Not so much that they needed to close, but it was just, it was like this married couple that ran the bar that like they yeah. owned it and it was just getting to be too much for they them. They were just like, they look, man, we're, we've had a good run. We don't want to yeah. do this until we die. We're just going to call it while we're ahead. Yeah. That's and, uh, fair. Unfortunately That's fair. that, yeah, yeah. like I, if I ever open a, a bar or tap room or something like that, which is something that I do want to do. Yeah. Every, um, every white guy has to dream of owning a bar. Yeah, like we already checked <laughs> off podcast from our like do list, like yes. normal cis white guy bucket list. It's like, all right, so we have a Twitch channel, right. uh, we have a podcast. All right, now we just need to open a bar, right? <laughs> I, I need a uh, an overpriced IPA named after me, and then I can die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was super cool bar. Um. We still had other stuff to talk about, and we've been going for a while. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, I think we've we've mentioned around it a little bit. Um, I don't think I know on the last recorded episode we we haven't got a chance to talk about it. Um, I think we maybe talked about it a, bit, a little bit on the live episode, but we're playing D D again. Yes, um, and it has been a lot of fun. Um, yes. I want. I know we kind of started talking about it, but I was kind of drunken in my feelings at the end of the last session. So mostly I was just like thanking you guys for <laughs> playing with me. Um, and and first of all, I, I feel like I can speak for every Dungeon Master that um, the, the imposter syndrome in that position is real. Yes. Um, the way that I play D and D, um, because I don't do, I mean, we are playing a pre-written, uh, a, a pre-written right and encounter story. There um, are there are different pieces that you've put together that have been pre-established, but are still unique to the entire journey we're taking. Correct. Um, but at least the way I play D and D, I don't do a ton of like pre-made campaigns. Everything I run is in my homebrew universe, and um, spilling my guts to my friends and saying, "Hey, please don't um, murder me," uh, is a lot. Yes. Uh, it's a lot to do, it, right? It's especially with somebody who struggles with the mental illnesses right. that I do. And, um, it's a lot to to do, and and to say like, I've watched a quite fair bit of like D and D on Twitch. One, to just to, like, kind of really understand what it means to present D&D and to help kind of, like, get different ideas of, like, what works and what doesn't. Like, this is not against anyone in particular. 
I've watched a ton of D&D on Twitch. Some of it's boring as shit. Yeah. Yours is not. Uh, uh, I have done well, two I campaigns of yours now. It's in the same universe of different eras, as far as I understand. Mm -hmm. uh, it is engaging. Um, one, because of the people we always uh, introduce into D&D, uh, character-wise. I think everyone who plays understands, especially in this campaign, understands uh, the balance between character work and good storytelling. And while also, like, letting the narrator and the storyteller fucking tell a story. And sometimes I think we might trip over ourselves to get in the way of a joke in the uh, in the way of maybe letting you tell storytell as much. But also we definitely are like very mindful that it is your fucking story and you're letting us be in it. Yeah. Um, the way I approach D&D &D, um, is less as a game and more as this is uh, cooperative storytelling. Yeah, it's a choose-your-own-adventure so, book. Yeah, in which the endings are not necessarily written yet. Yes. <laughs> like, um, you essentially, you lay out a foundation. You say, basically, you can do whatever you want, but I'm basically expecting you to take one of these four routes. Yeah, so... Uh, in this specific campaign, it is very much, this is the path we're going. Now, the things yeah. that you do on it, like... It's a little linear, last... probably, than you would have expected, but you're also doing that for the yeah. sake of time. Uh, yes, uh, very much so. Our last encounter, um, you guys almost skipped over, and I, like, all those charisma saves I made you guys do... yes. That was not written. That was like, they're just going to fucking skip over this, and I need this to happen. So <laughs> We were like five out of six charisma saves away from doing it. Like, there was one oh, charisma yeah. save that blocked that. Yeah. So, like, the first set of charisma saves, I was like, all right, I'm just going to set this up to get them up the hill. Yeah. So the first set of charisma saves, and it's funny, same character failed. The, yes, the, it was Alex it's, both it's Basically, so it, you guys passed four of six charisma saves. Yes. Um, and the two failed <laughs> charisma saves was Alex. <laughs> oh, God damn it, Alex. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, and if it had gotten, I, I mostly needed you to get up the hill. Yes. Um, there's some cool stuff that is going to happen because of what happened. Right. But that didn't necessarily have to happen. Yeah, you, you could have worked it around, but it, it makes your job as a storyteller easier if you essentially and it's not even a MacGuffin at that point it's a straight up plot point now uh yeah yeah pretty much um but yeah i just i needed it to happen so i was like all right how am i gonna make this happen uh yeah. and i literally what i did was i went in while you guys were kind of like talking about what you're doing i went into everyone's character sheet and found the lowest average bonus and that's the save i made you guys make that's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it, but it also, it worked out, like, could our, like, charismatic selves fight this, like, essentially, like, chaotic demon that's pulling us up the hill? Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. I, I, it, um, it worked. It worked. But anyway, um, all of that in my feelings bullshit, um, you've already kind of started. I just wanted to get your 
point of view as a player because yes. I know what my point of view is yeah. of watching this roll out and, and telling the story and narrating yeah. what's going on. It, um, it's very fun. And again, this is this is my second campaign that I've ever done with D&D, both of which have been DM'd by you. But like, it, it's it's something that I love to get to like explore. Like There were times where you're like, it's not necessarily what you want to do. What would, you, what would your character do? And it's like, well, I think my character would do this here. Like, you were like, don't metagame this. And I'm like, no, my character would want to keep his gold coins. He's kind yeah. of a fucking cat who wants to keep all yeah. of his shit. He's literally, he's not yeah. kind of, he is literally a cat. Literally he's, he's playing a, a tabaxi. tabaxi. Yeah, a <laughs> tabaxi who would be like, I would love to, like, like my heart tells me to throw this this coin in this hole. But also, uh, tabaxis are kind of, like, treasure-seeking, and I would keep every coin that I can kind of thing. And like it, it's fun to like get to that point where you can think in character. Yeah. And like I love that. I love that one hundred percent. And I I want to do more. I've this will be my second character. I want to build other characters and see. I never want to be in this this isn't the slight on anybody. I never want to be a boring straight character. We're just like, I'm I'm a knight who kills bad dragons and I'm a paladin and I'm always good. That's boring to me. I want to be like weird, complex characters who have like different like styles and I want to be unique outlets and not just the boring white savior. When I, when I first started playing D and D, um, one of the, one of the things that's really stuck with me, um, my my DM at the time, um, Yoda. Yes. Uh, you know you know him. Yes. He uh, something that's really stuck with me the entire time that um, we were playing and and since then you know and, and it's been shit almost almost ten years. Fuck, I'm old. It's been more than ten. Right? Years. It's been it's been almost fifteen years now. We have known uh, you for ten years. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. He always said, you know, real life is shitty and boring and you're just a person. Yes. We play this game as an escape. And I'm paraphrasing and, and yeah. maybe adding a little bit to it and what I felt about it. But right. um, basically he said, you know, we play this game as an escape. We never, we almost always played epic level campaigns, which was something you can do in 5th edition. Um, but it was much more popular in 3.5, which is the edition that I learned how to play D&D in. Yeah. Um, which basically meant you started the game at level twenty, which is the highest level you could get to. But it, it's it's more of like what your parents thought D and D was, where it's like high wizards doing like crazy wizard shit. Yeah, um, and it was the the whole idea was that you know real life is shitty and boring, and you're just a normal person. You don't we play this s- game as an escape. Yeah, and you why would I why would we be playing this game where you're just kind of a weenie just learning how to do? Yeah do your cool stuff why wouldn't we if we have this option why wouldn't we start as epic badasses and find yeah. even more epic badass things to do you it's know? it's taking skyrim and instead of starting at like you're a slave and you're escaping the dungeon you start after you killed alduin in skyrim and mm-hmm. you're the biggest baddest motherfucker and now you're going on a second quest yeah yeah, and that was that was how I learned how to play D anD. Yeah. Now I when we, uh, spoiler alert, we will be playing another big campaign. Oh yeah. 
Um, yes. When it when it starts, um, that still is a little bit out there. There is one more kind of mini campaign, um, like you know, five to ten session campaign. I want to do before we start the big one. Yes. Um, however, you will all be starting on level one in that one. Yeah. Because and that's fair. Despite the fact that um, I would. Honestly, personally, I would rather have you guys start at level three or five. Yeah. Um, because, and you've now had this experience where you've gotten to level three, you know yeah. what it's like. So, oh, this is fucking awesome. I could finally do this. Right. And then we started this campaign at level five, where it's like, oh, I actually have like options on what I can do now. Like, right. This is cool. I like, um, I like in this campaign where I can, like, if a situation arises and the other two are working through their shit. Mm-hmm. I can look at my spell list and go, what's going to make the most sense here? What's going to make the most sense next mm-hmm. turn? I do like that ability where my character is powerful, but I also remember being like a level one barbarian orc and being like, all right, cool. I guess I'll just wait to see what the fuck happens and it's presented to me and then I'll make my decisions. I think the storytelling is more compelling Um if we were just running a private campaign, yeah. not online, not as a show, not as, you know, a form of escapism and entertainment yeah. for other people, if it was just for us. Now, yes. granted, like I said before, when we were talking about, you know, the angry streamers and shit, uh, <laughs> this is still, I want this to be fun yes. for us. Right. Because and... if it's fun for us, people watching us will like it more. And um, that's what I've loved about you as the DM. Like, you always hear, like, the stories of, like, the bastard DM who's just, like, it, he doesn't want the campaign to have fun. He wants them to suffer or whatever. You want us to win. You actively want us to do the most fun and engaging thing. You're not out to hurt us. You're out to lead I us want, through a story. I want the numbers to be as big as possible, no matter who's rolling. Yes. So if I, like, you'll see me, yeah. if you if you watch us play... Uh, by the way, we'll, I'm sure we'll tag it at the end of the episode yeah. as well, um, but on Jack's YouTube channel, the first session is live on Jack's YouTube's channel. Yes. I'm assuming because you did that, the rest of the sessions will also be live on yes. your YouTube channel. Yes. <laughs> yes. I plan to start doing more VODs in general, but I want to test it out with D&D first, because I think those are more engaging to see kind of like what that looks like, but going forward, I plan to do all D&D VODs if I can. Sure. Um, but uh, you'll see me um, get pissy if I roll low. Yeah. It's not because I want to, like, I, it's not because I want to kill my friends. Yeah. It's because I like when the clickety-clack magic rocks put the big numbers up. <laughs> yes. I want the highest number possible for everyone. Like, I get excited when my players roll high. I get disappointed when they roll low. I I get excited when I roll high, too, though. (laughs) I feel like you were more disappointed than I was. And I was very disappointed when I didn't get my pet wolf. I actually uh, was having a conversation with, actually, with Yoda (laughs) via via text message during that entire (laughs) exchange. And we were kind of... We were bouncing some ideas off of each other. So when everyone left, and because I was like, I've got an idea, I've got an idea. And like we went on a small break, and I went to like my just chatting screen, and I was like, chat, I'm going to get a pet wolf. I was like, I've got this spell. 
and I've got really high like uh like charisma and really high like uh persuasion. I was like, I'm gonna get this fucking pet wolf. And when you told me, I was th- like, uh, I rolled like an eight. I rolled low, mm-hmm. and you were like, if you'd rolled three higher, you would have had your pet wolf. I was so pissed at myself. So, um, Yoda had texted me. He said, "Hey, this is really interesting. Rules, and, and he is a he is a rules encyclopedia yes. kind of guy. Um, and he said it's a, it's a little rough, but rules as written." The intelligence stat on this monster you're using is high enough that with that spell, it could talk back. Yes. And I was like, <laughs> he was like, and, you know, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. Yes. But <laughs> I would have killed for that conversation. Yes. <laughs> and I was like. And I was like, I was like, we're in a position. So the, the, the outlay of this, if you didn't watch D&D, one, you should. But uh, if you didn't. Basically, like, we had killed seven wolves, and one of them survived essentially like a fireball blast, and it was my turn. And I was like, I want to talk to this wolf, because I have, like, a, a talk to animals, or, like, talk to living creatures spell. And I was like, I yeah, want you to had talk spell, to this wolf. You had to spell tongues. Yes, and um, I was like, I want to communicate to this wolf. You have two options. Either we fucking kill you, and it's very easy to do that. You can see everyone around you is dead. Or you join our team and I get a pet wolf. And I was like, this is very cut and dry. This wolf will understand me. And I like I talked to Pookie and I was like, you like understand this is my like what I want to do. And he, Pookie was like, Yeah, all right, roll a couple things for me. And I almost clutched it. Yeah. So um at the time in my head, I was like, all right, animal handling and persuasion. Yes. Uh, and the animal handling check was higher. You passed it. You failed the persuasion. No, I, I got the persuasion. I failed the animal handling. Yeah. 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 You're right. Because my persuasion looking super high back, on that character, but my animal handling was not developed enough. Yeah. Looking back, I wish I had maybe made you make like a intimidation check and then a a persuasion check or something and not necessarily the animal handling check but i mean that's 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 how it it goes live yeah like i'm I'm not upset with you i'm mad at me for rolling shittily but also that's what i live for in DD is like those like kind of like this could change the complete dynamic of the whole story on a fucking dice roll, let's see what happens. Like I love that aspect because it, it would makes, have been it makes both of us think on our feet. It would have been really interesting to see what I would have had to do. It, uh, it saved me a lot of work that you didn't. Right, right. <laughs> it, but also, but... it gives you the opportunity to flex your improv muscles because now yeah. you're adding in my new pet wolf to the whole fucking story. Yeah. Like, how does my pet wolf interact with the bee people that we see 10 feet later? Like, uh, does... No, it was after. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, You're no, right. Uh, Sorry. It the I got it. Like, the bee it was people. before. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, how do you interact with bee people seeing, knowing what we know now? How do they interact with me having a fucking essential feral wolf that I'm riding on this? <laughs> it's also, it's funny because, uh, uh, like, in the, in the, uh, encounter book uh which by the way i think i chatted out on the show before but yes. uh, count, uh cassie mothwin at countess cassie on twitter um 
she wrote this incredible book called What Crooked Roots. Uh, I shouted it out real big on the show uh, Thursday night as well. But um, she wrote this incredible book. Uh, it's so cool. As soon as I read it, uh, as soon as I saw it, I bought it. I texted Jack. I was like, I found this fucking yes. crazy, awesome thing. We're going to be running it soon. Um, it's really good. What Crooked Roots. Um, all of her links and stuff to find it are on Twitter. So that's the thing that I want to shout out for it. Yes. But um, whenever yeah, this episode goes out, we'll have to do like like a, a sub tweet where it's like, hey, shout out Cassie, shout out other people who have like, like that we've shouted out. Like, I do want to shout out Chainbrain because they're amazing. And like I said, we talked about Chainbrain yep. earlier, but also shout out Cassie who we're talking about now. Like, yep. I do want to start doing that because we talk about so many of our friends on this channel. We do. We do. And on this podcast, we need to actually like give them the props outside of just the the audio yeah. sphere. Like give them written props as well. Exactly. Uh and not to mention we should probably shout out Mancake because yes. during our little break <laughs> when I had Kelsey taste my beer, Jack yes. was still doing stuff. So I, I pulled his stream up and he was talking to me on his stream yes. and I got in trouble because <laughs> Jack came back and we needed to keep recording our fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I, I have Mancake's stream still up and I can't hear Mancake, but I'm watching his chat. And like sometimes I've been like interjecting in his chat without actually hearing Mancake's response. Um, but there was one point where like somebody in chat, I don't know what prompted this, but it was somebody typed like uh, Wilt Chamberlain led the league in assists for three years. And while that's technically accurate, I also commented back Wilt Chamberlain led the league in white women for every year. <laughs> which is just a fact, which is just a fact. You can be against whatever. Wilt Chamberlain was fucking white women all the goddamn time. Shout out to Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain was a very good basketball player. He was. Um, it It's highly like debated on Wilt Chamberlain's the best basketball player of all time because basketball was completely different in that era, but I fucking love Wilt Chamberlain. I don't want to talk about sports. I want to talk about nerd shit. <laughs> No, nerds break down the contextual accuracies of basketball in the 40s versus today. That's nerd uh, shit. Wilt Chamberlain did not play in the 40s, I know bro. he didn't. I know he didn't. <laughs> I, I couldn't think of the era while I was talking about Wilt Chamberlain, and I lost it. I lost it. But no, uh, basketball was a completely different game when Wilt Chamberlain yeah, played. Yeah, uh, speaking but, of yeah. nerds breaking down sports, sports <laughs> stats, shout out to Schneider. Yes. Uh, <laughs> who is... Uh, as much as Yoda is a walking D and D encyclopedia, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Schneider is. Uh, I I know you don't use TikTok, yeah. but there's a TikTok channel that I that I watch fairly regularly. Uh, this guy that just like somebody names an obscure NFL player and starts giving him hints, and yes. he guesses who the player is. Um, uh, Schneider could do that yes. easy. Uh, two, <laughs> two quick, two, two, three quick amendments. Uh, uh, Wilt played in the 60s and 70s. That's my bad. Uh, two, one of my favorite shows as a kid and ESPN was Stump the Schwab, which was just like one guy who had encyclopedic knowledge of all sports and then two sports fans who would try to out-trivia him and they would always lose. And then you have writers like Tim Kirchin uh, on the Dan Levitard show who are just such an encyclopedic knowledge that it's baffling. Like I would listen to the Dan Levitard show and then, like, people would call in and talk to Tim Kirchin, and they'd be like, what about this player from the 70s? And he'd be like, oh, that person only batted 225. Like, 
they they were good but they weren't like necessarily great like to have that sort of fucking knowledge just like on call without research or without like a buffer of like being able to look back like to be that yeah. informed about shit is insane to me and i love those people yeah yeah it's crazy um I hadn't planned on going on and on about like our campaign and, and like yeah. what we what we were doing. Um, I, I wanted to get uh, your your kind of point of view on what was going on. But then another thing I wanted to talk about uh, with Dungeons and Dragons in particular. Yes, I know this is a very bad segue, but going <laughs> <laughs> from Tim Kirchin to this. Um, I've talked about it before, and I've talked about it with you guys. One of my favorite things as a DM is to play with people who have never played before. Yes. Is to introduce people to this this very, very cool experience, this very, very cool subculture. Um, there are some not-so-great things about uh, Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons and & Dragons. There, there are. Um, it's unfortunate. However... One of the really, really great things about Dungeons and Dragons, um, and it's and tabletop RPGs as a whole, um, is we talked about the inclusivity um, stuff with video games. Like that's not an issue with D and D, right? You can you can include everyone in this kind of game, right? Because you know it's not it's not a code. You know, like I pl we play technically Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Technically, I use the rules because those are the rule books I have and they're the ones I know. Right. 80% of those rules I just throw out the fucking door. Yeah. I just, I'm like, these rules are no fun. I don't <laughs> fucking care about them. Um, but it, inside of that inclusivity, um, especially with a lot of, um, LGBTQ um, spears. Yes. I've read so many really great stories about Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop games as a whole being the first time, you know, a, a queer person, a trans person, a, a, a gender fluid person could say, you know, I'm playing, I'm playing who I feel like I am on the inside. This right. Is the first time they were able to experience that kind of um, catharsis. Right. To be who they felt like they actually were. Yeah. And, which is incredible right. to me. And, like, and what's great about D&D is it's not just a high fantasy role-playing game. That's, that's what it is at its most, like... If you're not going to think about it critically, and that sounds like a douchey thing to say, but if if you just want to look at it very, very like honest face value, it is high mm -hmm. fantasy role playing. But also, the characters you're playing are extens extensions of yourself, extensions of people you've interacted with, extensions of what you've experienced as a person. Right. No one is picking a character from nothing. You're picking a character because you've seen that kind of mold set as a person or you're seeing that kind of mold set as an idea or a construct. My very first character was a golden retriever orc who loved everybody. And that's because I, like, 
as an adult, like I've found that I get the most happiness out of spreading joy and just being legitimately engaged in other people's life in a way that is fun and exciting and like propping up other people. And that's the right. character that I wanted to fucking be. And that was my character. My character right now is a uh, tabaxi that uh, praises a god, Bakht Pot, to the highest uh, altitude. Uh, Bakht Pot is baked potato, a.k.a. my fucking cat. And I want to give my cat to everybody as the highest fucking altitude. That is me <laughs> as a person. Yeah, uh, um, I remember when we were talking about this character for this random, you know, what's probably going to end up being five to seven-ish session campaign. Yes. You know, this really kind of short little thing in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And you were like, hey, I want to do this. And I was like, you know what? I don't necessarily have the groundwork in right. my universe for that. Right. Fuck it. Let's do it. But, like, we and work together. Literally... Yeah, we worked together and literally added a god to the pantheon <laughs> yes. of the universe I'm writing. <laughs> right. But like but to be very very short about that, that's an extension of me as a person, uh me a person who loves to spread happiness and my fucking cat. Those are two characters in D&D that I have been and at their like core sense that's me as a person. Like that's that's what I love about D&D is it lets you be fully yourself and for I am very lucky to be a straight white male and not have the hardships and issues that other people um, that I'm very, very close friends with have those issues with. Right. And D&D gives you that outlet to be those people, which is right. fucking beautiful. And it also gives you the outlet to, you know, even as... It's sometimes difficult to kind of talk about this sort of issue. Yes. Um, because you know both you and I cis white males, right? Listen, We're man, not the we worst people come to when it comes to <laughs> listening to like gender equality, race, and like social dynamic issues. Yeah. They don't come to white people. And unfortunately, that's fine. That is fine. Yeah, unfortunate. Well, fortunately, we won the genetic lottery. Right. Like I said, um, luckily, I am a straight white male. Yeah. Luckily, unfortunately. Um, there is a lot of bullshit in even inside of this community. A, yeah. a lot of the a lot of the old timers are, you know, you don't think of like the the geek nerd sphere as as a big gross collection of like boys club bullshit, right? Uh, but it it can be. A lot of the old timers can be gross about right. that kind of stuff. And um, good, but the the sphere at least that I'm a part of that I choose to be a part of is very inclusive. Um, 80% of the, of the tabletop creators that I've started following on Twitter have all been, um, you know, LGBTQ plus or people of color or yes. a little of both. You know, I, I, you you hold a certain amount of responsibility as a cis white ally. Right. Um, as I'm literally wearing a shirt that says ally and has the LGBTQ colors across the front. Right. Um, sometimes that responsibility is shut the fuck up. Yes. And let people who know take the stage. Right. Sometimes that responsibility is 
unfortunately, my word may be listened to a little more closely than somebody else's. Yeah. And I think a really good thing that I saw about this uh, is somebody I saw by the name of uh, Russ Wildest on Twitter. And I'm not super familiar with everything they have on Twitter, but there was a thread that the Twitter algorithms pushed to me that I really liked. And it basically talked about white players playing non-white roles in tabletop RTVs and D&D. And it basically like kind of boiling down to like, if you are going to be a white person playing a non-white role, please don't try to solve racism in your character. Please don't try to make your character like assume the trials of a black or uh, a colored character and basically just basically not essentially like assuming that I'm going to like fight racism as a white person role. Don't fucking do that. Uh, was the whole premise of this thread. And I, it yeah. really kind of like shed a light into kind of like what that's like. And I really appreciated hearing a different fucking outlook. And it's great that you can be in a like a sphere where like even as like a inclusive surrounding as D&D, you can still learn like, hey, well, you might be like you think you're like working in the right. It can actually be harmful and damaging what you're doing. So, like, just, like, listen to your surroundings. And if somebody of, like, color or on the LGBTQ, like, family side or anybody is like, hey, like, please don't do this. This, like, might be offensive. It's not your job to say, no, it's not offensive. It's your job to shut the fuck up and listen to their perspective. Right. Yeah. And it's... I I want to use my platform for good and not for evil. Yes. Or maybe for evil. I mean, it but just like, kind of depends even, on your like, point of view. And, but. and that that is the problem in general with straight white people is we think that we're doing good, but we can be causing harm by projecting platitudes of bullshit. And like yeah. fake white savior bullshit is a problem. And if somebody is like, hey, like this could be harmful. Your first reaction shouldn't be, no, I'm trying to help. It should be shut the fuck up and listen. On that note, sorry, this is just something that's been bugging me for a while. Yes. Um, when the Dune movie came out, yes, a lot of people. This is <laughs> this is completely unrelated. It's just something that's been bugging me for a while. I mean, it's 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 worth transitioning to. It's it's tangentially related. Yeah. Uh, when the Dune movie came out, a lot of people uh, got a little bit uh, frustrated. And not necessarily unrightfully, but a lot of people got a little bit frustrated. They were like, oh, another white savior movie. Yeah. The thing about that um, is read the rest of the story right. and see what happens to Paul. Yeah. Because <laughs> see what happens to Paul for taking on that role. Yeah. Because um, it's, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> Bad, I, bad things happen yeah. to him. <laughs> and, and, and that is the thing where it's like, it's always it's never good to judge, like, a character on its first arc when you don't know the full, like, projection. But it is, that that's not yeah. to say that, like, hey, sometimes white saviors definitely fucking exist and you definitely need to call them out when they're being that. Yeah. Uh, but so, some stories, yeah. if they're already fully written, you can be like, hey, no, it's cool. That person's going to get their shit kicked in. Yeah, like, listen. Story as presented in just the first Dune movie. Yes. 
Yes, that is a frustrating, another Hollywood projection of a white savior. Absolutely. Yes. Um, Paul Mwadib spends the latter half of his life with his eyes plucked out of his head, <laughs> wandering the desert until he dies. Just, <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, for the people who haven't read the book that's been out for how many decades? A lot of them. Yes. <laughs> Bad things happened to Paul because yeah. he took on this role yeah. as white savior. Yeah, sorry. Um, spoiler alert: uh, Dune came out in 1965. So yeah, Dune came out, and then Dune Messiah was in uh, maybe 68, 69, 69. Uh, Children of Dune was 76. Uh, yeah. God Emperor of Dune was in 81. Yeah. So so between the uh, the mid to late 60s and then into the early 80s is yeah. when these novels were coming out. Right. Which is 40 fucking years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Our parents were born and became old in between that time. Now, granted, uh, if Hollywood chooses to take another direction... Yeah, I mean, there is also Frank the aspect did, of Hollywood but... destroying a narrative. Yeah. which And I, you know, I liked the Dune movie. I The first time I saw it, I had mixed feelings. Um the second time I watched it through, I was like, okay, I, I get what they did and why they did the things that they did. Yeah. Um, because it's a, it, Dune itself is kind of a hard read. Uh, the first like 150 pages are a little tough to get through unless yeah. you really love learning about <laughs> uh, space socioeconomics and uh, spicing guilds. But <laughs> yes. It's funny, my, and this is, I feel like this is a, a knock against my nerd cred. The only experience I have with Dune is playing the board game. I mean, that's fine. I haven't watched it's... the movie and I haven't read the books yet. So there was a movie in the 80s um, that a lot of people like. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> I I may get, I may get like, torches and pitchforks outside my door for saying that <laughs> that movie is just fine. I mean, but... I, feel, I feel like when you when you watch a movie from the 80s, you have to give it credit for being a movie in the fucking 80s. Yeah, and I mean, like, it's it's not like... Listen, I, I watch Star Trek and Doctor Who. Like, yeah. Campy effects is fine. Right. I don't have a problem with campy effects. Well, like that, just... like, wasn't like a lot of, like, sci-fi books in the 80s, like, evil corporations and technology is the bad guy. And uh, then, like, the technology wins in the end. Y Yes-ish. Uh, a lot of, like, the sci-fi and fantasy sphere, especially in the 80s, was uh, kind of gross and male-centric. And, yeah. like, like, women existed as sex objects and... Yeah, uh, that's about it. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the uh, the plot of the first Blade Runner. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> uh, to be an ally in nerd culture, uh, it can be easier because yes. there's a lot of there's a lot of crossover. Yes, um, but it can also be difficult uh, because the stuff that is like nerd canon is really kind of gross. <laughs> yeah. Nerd culture has also come a long way from, like... I mean, Revenge of the Nerds 
is a gross movie in modern context and even in current context of when it was made. Like, those movies did not paint nerds in a good light. Because, um, you know, of all the sexual assaults that happened in that movie. Um, but, like, nerd culture today, what I really like about it is that it's inclusive and it also, like, there's so much, like, space to become educated about shit. Like I said, I, I saw that Twitter thread that was posted in, like, fucking March of this year. And it, it's something that, like, made me think and be like, all right, cool, like, if, I, if I'm going to play, like, a character of color that's not my own, how would I respond to, like, prejudices and, like, what would I think that I would have done to be, like, smart and inclusive, which might actually be damaging. And it's yeah. smart to kind of, like, not necessarily think about, like, oh, why will I, I would have, I, I would have stood up for Rosa Parks in the 60s. No, the fuck you wouldn't have, because you probably would have been the monolith of white people who didn't, because it was safer and easier for you. Like, yeah. not everything needs to be the white savior standing up, I'm going to beat racism bullshit. It's like, it's one of the reasons it's one of the reasons where uh, racism exists in the universe that I'm building. Yes, but not in the same way, right? Uh, that it exists in in real life, right? And, um, and one of which is because uh, it it, it kind of depends on how you look at it. I don't super love race. I'm I'm using air quotes. We're an yes. audio only. Uh, format here, but yeah. uh, race as describing the different um, kinds of characters you can be is a little bit of a misnomer. Um, it falls... Uh, species isn't the right word either. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's just... it. It's a little bit different. It's almost like um, character and classist as, a poor, as opposed to like full-on, like, race dividing, almost. Right? Or right. am I thinking wrong? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, you're not thinking wrong. Um, I tend to lean a little bit more into classism than yeah. necessarily traditional racism right. uh, in like, my campaign. It's not the you're a green person. It's, oh, you're a poor person. Yeah. Um, sometimes that's an issue. Um, and, and I mean, there are there are historical in-universe reasons why, um, you know, an orc showing up in a in a populated city center may not be necessarily the most right. welcome thing and that, in and the that's world. And that's because like orcs traditionally are more barbaric, and that's not to like like orcs generally are more like of this like the the class where it's just like hey. We kind of live in a, like, tribalistic nature, which can have its own kind of issues, but that's, like, more of what you perceive it as in your universe. Right. And I'm also kind of rewriting some of that um, because a, a little bit from the influence of, of Matt Mercer, and I, I recently bought a copy of, uh, of the... Uh, the Taldore Reborn um, rule book, uh, which has a lot of like he wrote a lot of um, a lot of the world building. I mean, he wrote all of the world building for Critical Role, as yeah. far as I'm aware. Um, I think he had people help him 
kind of organize it into book format. Right, which um, is when, when, you're, when you're with Critical Role, you have resources to do that shit. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, kind of the way that he organizes things, and um, I drew a little bit of inspiration from where it's, you know, culturally a a dwarf from um, the mountain cities in my universe is going to be very different from a dwarf from the the main continent cities. Yeah. Just culturally, there's going to be gaps. Right. Um, you're gonna be you're gonna be much. It's gonna be much more cultural rather than racial. The way it's written in right. the D and D rule books, where like yeah. somebody of any race from one city is gonna be a little bit different than somebody from that same race uh, from another city, just because of geographic culture, right? But not necessarily race racial stereotypes your your mountain elf is different than your city elf yeah except for elves don't exist in right because you're i think elves were genocided in your they were uh, in your world they were they were genocided (laughs) (laughs) they were genocided and um essentially bred out of existence yeah sort of uh and and the behind the curtain reason for that is i could not uh make people who lived eight, nine, a thousand, fifteen hundred years, depending on which specific type of elf you use. Yeah. Too immortal. I could not uh, make that work in a story that relied on parts of history being mysterious. Yes. <laughs> because if you could just walk up to somebody who was there and ask them what happened... Right. Uh, it ruins everything. <laughs> right. Your immersion is broken when there's, like, an old world. And somebody's like, yeah, no, I was there. Here's what happened. Yeah, it's like, you know, I, I you can't go talk to Elrond about what happened in the first <laughs> age of Middle-earth because I, I can't. I Part of the things that I'm writing require those to be mysterious. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so it's like, you know what? Rather than trying to completely homebrew the race i'll just remove them yeah there you go <laughs> uh but pookie yes if people want to learn more about like your writing habits uh your uh your world building abilities and where people can watch you play video games where the fuck can the people find you uh, the people can find me on the Twitter. They can find me on Twitter at Pookie Rex. Uh, they can find me on Twitch at www.twitch.tv slash Rex. Um, we are almost done with Final Fantasy X. Yes. Next will be Final Fantasy X-2 for as long as I can stand it. <laughs> um, I keep saying that. I've not actually played yeah. it. Like, we we, we and talked I, about it in the live episode. It yeah. seems to be an okay game, if not subpar of Final Fantasy standards, which is still a good game overall. I yeah. wanted like, to it may end quotes. up being... I wanted to give you quotes of it being a bad game, but all I could find was it's kind of against the Final Fantasy like lore of it's a continuation of a story with different characters, but it's okay. Yeah, I think... Um... Honestly, I think part of the reason a lot of people hated it was because it was so out of the norm for the Final Fantasy games. It was the first time there was a direct sequel 
to a Final Fantasy game. Didn't it also include three main female characters? Uh, yes, I that might be part of it. Time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> that's fair. Uh, People probably so, yeah, we'll it because they were fucking women. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, honestly, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm dreading it too much. I'm sure it'll be fine. It's also again, it's also a continuation of the exact story you're currently playing. Correct. So it's probably yeah. going to feel the exact same to you. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I know the mechanics are a little bit different, but whatever. Yeah. Um. Other than that, uh, you can find me uh, generally hanging out in Jack's uh, Twitch channel because I'm a mod there. You can also find me DMing uh, Dungeons & Dragons with our friends from Here's a Guy. Uh, where Where is that again, Jack? Where Where is where is that, your, your Twitch channel? Uh, my Twitch channel, uh, you can find me on Twitch at JackJohnPlaysGames. You can find me on YouTube. You can catch the uh, entire first session of YouTube. You can find the entire first session of our D&D playthrough on YouTube at Jack John Plays Games. Um, as it turns out, brand uh, synchronization is huge. So find me at Jack John Plays Games on YouTube. This is the first time I've plugged the YouTube channel. Uh, you can also find some small shorts of uh, of the Twitch channel. Find me on Twitter at Jack John Jose. And uh, talk, uh, catch me on... Uh, Spotify on a different podcast. I hawk a lot of shit, and I always feel bad because I do so much shit. Find me on uh, Spotify at Here's a Guy, where I talk about uh, lesser-known, fascinating people throughout history. I talked about Pac-Man Jones on the most recent episode that we recorded. Yeah, that was actually a pretty good segment. I listened to that the other day. It was yeah, good. Pac-Man Jones, a fun, complicated figure. Uh, other than that, thank you all very much for listening. Uh, come check out our other stuff. Um, come check out our D&D. That's a really big project that um, I know Jack's putting a lot of work into um, with with the kind of production of it all. Yes. Um, it's also something that I'm really right. kind of throwing myself for, into. For as much as I put in producing it, Pookie puts in 100 times more effort making it um, possible. And it, it it's also just a ton of fun. Um, we hang out. It, it's it's fun to hang yeah. out with my friends, drink beer, play a fun game, and entertain other people. Yes. Um, but yeah, please come check that out. If you have a chance, please come check me out on uh, Twitch. Follow me on Twitter. Check Jack out on Twitch. Follow him on Twitter. Listen to Here's a Guy. It's a really good podcast. Um, other than that, Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. Bye, daddies.